Hey, everybody out there. Welcome to Revolutionary Health on Facebook Live. We're back on Facebook and we're live. And this is the first time that we've done this in a while. So I am so very excited uh, to be bringing this back to Facebook. I'm Michael Ward. You can see all my information there at the bottom. But make sure, as always, that you um, follow all our social media, CNP Tribe, as well. We're on YouTube where you can watch all our past videos. I'm so excited about being back on Facebook for one. And number two, the very ex exciting guest that I have here to talk about HIV criminalization and his personal journey with us, Robert Suttle. Um, I met him about six years ago. I don't think that he remembers me um, at that point, but we had to talk about HIV criminalization and I learned a lot, a lot of things that I didn't know and especially about his journey um, with us. So I will read his bio so we can Definitely give him credit because he's an amazing person. So Robert Suttle is a social justice educator and notable activist within the national and global intersectional HIV movement. Part of his strategy for social change is cultivating relationships with other cross-movement leaders, collectively advocating for meaningful involvement of communities most impacted, and centering Black communities and communities of color, connecting advocacy to decriminalize HIV to other movements, around prisons, policing, and criminalization. All wonderful stuff that I can't wait for us to talk about and discuss. But welcome to the show, Mr. Robert Suttle. How are you feeling? How's everything going over there with you? Hi, Michael. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm feeling really good. Things are pretty calm here for now, um, considering the times that we're in right now. But all is well, all is well. Oh, good to hear. So very good to hear. It's a lot happening. And we'll be yeah. talking about a lot in the chat. So I just want to make sure that everybody knows that we're live and that you can chat with us and drop comments in and ask questions about what you want to know so we can keep the conversation flowing um, within what we want. But I just want to give us a high level overview of what we'll be talking about tonight for people that are just tuning in that don't know. Um, just basically, what is HIV criminalization? Oh, okay. HIV criminalization is uh, is where there are HIV specific laws that exist here in the country. Uh, it is applies to a particular set of people. It's where the criminal law uh, is applied to people living with HIV for uh, alleged non-disclosure or perceived exposure and um, transmission of HIV. So if you're a person that does not disclose their HIV status prior to engaging any type of sexual activity, uh, you could be become criminal liable and uh, face uh, felony charges as well as uh, a prison sentence. And uh, yeah, so it, it applies to all people living with HIV. The only defense is if you didn't know that you're uh, HIV positive. Um, I mean, there's lots of things to be said. There, there's no criminal intent uh, with this law. Uh, if you're in fact HIV positive, you engage in sexual behavior and you're accused of not disclosing that. And it can be confirmed that you're in fact living with HIV. Uh, you're again, subject to uh, be criminally liable and again, could face prosecution. Thank you. Yeah, I think especially in um, hearing your story and everything that, um, <clears throat> like I said, we uh, met about six years ago, that was yeah. really powerful, impactful um, as Johnny Carnegie uh, Carnegie, shout out to Johnny said, is that it puts a, a face, you know, with this subject. So for people that don't know um, about your story, can you just tell us about your story with HIV criminalization and what led you to the work? 
Yeah, I, I was diagnosed with HIV in 2003, so it's been 17 years ago this month. And um, and so fast forward five years uh, from my uh, diagnosis, I had, you know, many people who are newly diagnosed go through these this experience of uh, trying to negotiate how to uh, disclose their HIV status to people that they're involved in, just it naturally, right? To either family, friends, or even people you're involved in. But in terms of my experience, um, I was casually uh, getting involved with someone like most gay men do, <laughs> uh, most black gay men do. And um, it was a, this situation uh, arised in terms of me facing uh, an arrest was because uh, I had a, we had a mutual friend that knew about my HIV status. And so me and this guy dated for, well, I guess you could say casually dated for like three months. We did engage in sexual activity uh, with no protection, with no condom. Uh, which was part of the sort of negotiation, if you will, of us engaging. But when your passions and desires get the best of you, things happen. And so uh, my HIV status never came into question until that relationship ended because we didn't always see eye to eye on things. You know, it's kind of part of getting to know someone. Sometimes you get along well, sometimes you don't. But my HIV status was never the case in this situation. Uh, until the relationship ended. And so the person that I was involved with was very upset. Um, and for this issue to come back up was probably not the best time when someone is upset. And so as a result of this this issue arising again, and when I was questioned about my HIV status, then I didn't deny it. Um, he was so angry at me and that he decided to threatened to press charges against me for, for not disclosing. And this is uh, another black gay man that I was involved with. So it's not like some other person that was, you know, different from myself. It's another black gay man that I was involved with. Um, but generally this is how these issues happen. You know, just a situation where two people are either upset or, or one person is upset and the HIV status becomes an issue whether it's because someone did not disclose it or whether it just becomes an issue in general. Um, and so as a result for me, I eventually pressed charges. He threatened to press charges. He, um, I mean, he, uh, told me that I should have turned myself in, you know, and at this time I'm really trying to reason with this person, like have a conversation to maybe explain something or to get some clear understanding, but he wasn't trying to hear it, um, which, you know, most people in this situation don't want to hear it, you know. Um, and so he decided to press charge and he, and he he did. And as a result, I um, I had to accept that. I had to accept uh, what was coming, you know, his decision. And uh, of course, I was very afraid. I was very afraid. And um, I knew that I had never been in trouble with the law before, uh, and so, but I knew that facing an arrest or facing uh, criminal charges would mean that I would at some point be arrested and um, eventually um, put sent to jail. And that could eventually affect my job, could uh, affect my livelihood, um, which it did. I ended up having to resign from my job. Um, I ended up having to move out of my apartment and move back home. Um, and I had to go to trial. I had to find money to hire an attorney, which the money that I did have was the money that I was using to start my retirement. You know, uh, I was a young uh, 
well, was I barely 30 or maybe somewhere? I forget how in my late 20s, approaching 30. Um, so, you know, just starting out on life, starting on my career. And so um, I will say that uh, there was an investigation. There were sex crime detectives that visited my home when I wasn't there. There was a warrant, a copy of a warrant on on the counter when I went into my apartment, which was just out itemizing the things that they had uh, searched in my home. Um, they were basically looking for anything that could show that I was in fact HIV positive. And I think I, at that time I had some old lab reports, you know, when you do your blood, uh, do your labs, um, you know, they give you that either pink or yellow copy or whatever color it is. And so you take that home with you. And so that is something that I had that can definitely confirm that I was HIV positive, but they also looked at other things, whether I had an address book or um, uh, pill bottles that had, of course, had nothing to do with HIV. It was more so for my allergies. But I say that to say they were looking for anything that they could find that to help build a case to confirm that I was in fact HIV positive since they couldn't talk to me. Uh, they did show up at my job at one point. I uh, could not talk to them at that point. Uh, but then when they came back a second time, which was maybe a couple of months later, that's when they arrested me at work um, in front of my colleagues. I had just finished eating lunch and um, was called up to the front by one of the bailiffs to say that someone wanted to see me. And it was the sex crime detectives along with the police officer. And they arrested me right there on the spot uh, at work. So I don't know about the viewers, but can you imagine being arrested at work? <laughs> so um, I think that had to have been one of the most humiliating moments of my life. And I really couldn't say much of anything. I remember just being in shock and, um, not saying much of anything because I I didn't know what to say. And plus with what was happening, I really didn't know what that meant as far as the next day or, or the next hour or the future, you know, my family finding out uh, just the, the, uh, the ramifications of that, of that arrest, um, what that could mean. I mean, they basically just took me away and booked me and, um, as I said, that was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And um, eventually I, I was able to buy, had a friend to bond me out. And I had to move out of my apartment at that time because actually my lease was up. And then when I got home, I remember my mother telling me that they knew. And the way that they knew is because there was a paper that published when people were arrested. And it, and it showed exactly what you were arrested for. So it said that I was... Um, the charge was intentional exposure to the AIDS virus. That is the charge in the state of Louisiana. Um, and so it basically put my HIV status out there <laughs> on Front Street. And I had a relative that actually, the way I come to understand, actually read that paper. And she was the one that disclosed that information to my family before I even had a chance to do it. And even before I even had a chance to really wrap my mind around what was what was happening because I had not been open with my family about my HIV status. Um, I learned personal responsibility at a young age, so I, I knew how to take care of myself, how to go to the doctor and and things like that. Um, it wasn't something that I was ashamed of. I think it was more so that I was um, just trying to be responsible and just take care of the, the things that I needed to take care of concerning me and not to burden my family, which is why you know, paid the money to get an attorney when I was going through the experience. And uh, not many people are able to do that. Um, and I don't say that to like to brag, but just the fact that I used everything that I had to try to solve this 
uh, address this situation, not to burden my family, because it's one thing to be gay, it's one thing to be HIV positive, and now here I am facing uh, criminal charges. And like I don't know how black people, many black people, feel about that, but you know these things are are issues in the black family. You know, um, we have we either have had uncles or cousins or somebody that's faced you know. Uh, the criminal justice system, and this is just not the welcoming news that you want to bring to your family, you know. Um, and so it it um, this experience of being arrested really sort of was the coming out, if you will. I had never came out publicly in my life. I pretty much tend to mind my own business, um, but this was my coming out, and it came out that I was HIV positive, but it also came out that I was a gay and um and now it's coming out that i was you know um becoming a, a alleged criminal by the fact of being hiv positive so Thank um you. yeah <laughs> it's a lot I've said a lot there but i'll wait for your next question to to go no no you haven't you haven't said a lot and i definitely thank you and appreciate you so much for telling your story because like mm -hmm. i say it does help people understand that this has rippling effects not you know not just for you but for your family the community all of these these ways and as you point out in your story too i mean the cost of lawyers fighting the criminal justice system for you know something of, of trying to have a conversation talk to somebody about that and publicly you know having your hiv status being disclosed to your family without giving you an opportunity those are a lot of things that like i say for myself that i didn't realize hearing your story that even happened um you know or it, that can happen and especially when it comes to the black community um and we've seen it firsthand like you say with the criminal justice system with locking us up all of those things and not giving us a fair fair trial and chance uh, with it and this was in uh louisiana as well so just um from my knowledge i saw some stats today um from cdc and a lot of these other places but how many states in uh right now do we have that have hiv criminalization laws we have 30 plus states um, currently. There have been a few states just over the past um, six years that have been able to um, change their law or to mod modernize it, which is in the in our HIV decrim work is, I mean, we would love for these laws to be repealed, but um, the, the term that comes, um, that legislators are able to stomach is more of modernizing the law, meaning bringing it up to date with the science. But yes, currently there are 30, plus states, uh, some of them have uh, HIV specific laws and then there are some of them prosecute people living with HIV under general criminal laws. And then there are states that have sentence enhancements, meaning that if you are uh, happen to commit a, a crime and you happen to be HIV positive and your HIV positive status becomes an issue, then there's a, um, a chance you can, you can face a sentence enhancement, meaning adding more time or more years to to your sentencing. So, um, and also in Louisiana, when you're faced with this conviction, you also have to register as a sex offender. And so there are at least six states currently that, um, maybe five, six states currently that may require you to register as a sex offender. And and what that means is putting your, a paying for an ad to put your paper, your, your a photo in a paper in the community uh, community notification cards sent out within a certain mile radius of your community, wherever you are living. Um, and, um, and also just 
seeing a probation officer and paying the the fees or the fines that that come with that. So you have to register um, through the probation office, and that is where you know. And in Louisiana, they require you, sex offender to be put on your driver's license. So um, so if if you know, imagine getting arrested at work was one thing, and having to show up in court and then address that you're in fact HIV positive is another thing. Try imagine having your driver's license, having the word sex offender on it. And have and if you can think of any instances where you have to show your driver's license in public um, and just imagine that on there. So just think about how you would, would feel. And I remember um, feeling very ashamed uh, and afraid to show that because of what people might think without even knowing my story, right? My ex experience. Mm -hmm. When you think of sex offenders, you think of rapists, you think of um, child molesters. Um, but yes, they have also added in people living with HIV who are subjected to to the registry. And in the state of Louisiana, it, it, you're required to register for 15 years. So that's even after you may have done the prison time. And um, I will, I guess, back up and just say I ended up serving six years in, in prison, not six years, sorry, six months uh, in prison, but I could have faced anywhere up to 10 years. And in some states, it's even longer. Some people are serving 30 year sentences and having to register on, be on the sex offender registry for either 25 years or even for a lifetime. So, um, and now it's gone a step further to do civil confinement, meaning you could be you could have gone, did your time, because they consider HIV criminalization to be, uh, or these HIV crimes to be uh, done by sexually violent predators. And so um, I don't consider myself a sexually violent predator, but um, this is the labels that they're giving to us. Um, and this is potentially could happen, um, how people living with HIV could be perceived as monsters, as predators. Um, and that's not me. It's it's not me. And um, uh, so these are the, the things that people are facing. And when you have a conviction, it affects your your livelihood. You can you can barely barely find a place to live, uh, if at all, because on the application, it talks about have you been convicted of, of, of you know, of anything in, in your history? Um, it affects your ability to get a job. Um, it affects your ability to access services. Um, or even uh, federal programs, or or even some state programs. So it um, it just depends. It varies from state to state, and if you're subjected to the registry, then you are, um, you know, it may be very challenging for you to move around in the country. And in some states, for example, Florida have their sex offender laws are very, um, very strict. yeah, very strict. Yes. Yeah, I have a personal experience with someone in my life that was on the registry and it just, it was like being in prison again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they call it more of a civil regulation, but it's still, it's like it's, you're, you're in prison. But I talk about the civil confinement uh, because we do have people who are currently in civil confinement. New Sean Williams uh, is another black man that has served his time regarding a, a HIV um, conviction. And he is still, he's still even years, I, I forget how, I think it's maybe 10 years, I, I could be quoting it wrong, but it's been a long number of years. And he is still civilly confined um, in prison. In New York, right? In New York, in the state of New York. 
And so I want people to understand that, um, you know, this could, for me, it started out with, you know, being a black gay man, gay, <laughs> being gay, having sex, and living with HIV. You know, I, I kind of joke about it, like these three words, right? Gay, <laughs> these three letter words, gay, sex, and HIV. And these things can have long lasting, long lasting consequences. I am continuing to still live out uh, some of those collateral consequences. So um, I said it to say, we have to be very mindful of when we are, how we sort of support uh, these HIV laws um, in these particular states. HIV is so prevalent in the, in the South um, and it is in the South where we also have majority of the HIV specific statutes um, that exist in this country. So think about that. So think about that every potential person living with HIV in all the majority of the Southern states potentially could face these charges. And um, so we're talking about thousands of, of poor people, black and brown poor people. Uh, I'm not a rich person. I never was a rich person. Um, and it took every resource that I had to, you know, to live off your family for however many months a year, not making any income um, and having for them to support you all because I chose to live my life and make some decisions. And because I'm living with HIV, that because there are certain laws that want to control my behavior or um, or control my body, right? Uh, because it is a form of social control. It, it is a manifestation of stigma to have these law, criminal HIV criminal laws. It is stigmatizing. And we as Black people, as Black gay men, one, need to stop calling the police on other people, Definitely on other not. Black gay men, um, and stop perpetuating this system uh, that don't like us to begin with. And they'd be happy to take us in. That's why these laws have not changed in the South. And uh, But I believe they will someday. Um, but this is right up their alley. This is just another way to lock up Black and brown people, poor people, and working poor people. Um, and the resources are already strapped. And so when you're living with HIV, you know, yes, it's unfortunate for us, um, but it's even more damning when we have to face ch uh, challenges when it's involving the criminal justice system. Yes, yes. Good stuff, good stuff. If you are just tuning in to our talk. Uh, this is Robert Soto. We're talking about HIV criminalization. We're live. So make sure you drop comments, check out the chat um, as he shares his journey and his story with us. But I have a question that ties into um, something else that I wanted to ask. Um, but Chris Chandler in the chat has asked, in these cases, is undetectable status taking into consideration? That's a good question. And thank you for your question. Um, as I said, the science, they're not really considering the science um, at this point, which is the work that we try to, to do in terms of, um, of bringing awareness around HIV criminalization and the effect that it has on, on, on the community. Um, we want, how can I say this? Uh, yes, as I said, um, the science is not taken into consideration. Um, they should consider whether a person um, is undetectable. However, within our movement, we're not in, we're not favoring people to 
either if you're undetectable or not to be thrown under the bus because the way legislators will look at this like, oh, well, yeah, okay, you're right. This this law is is bad. And so if you're undetectable, you shouldn't be prosecuted, you know, but so, but we're going to keep it on the books because we need to, you know, uh, what if you got that person that uh, is undetectable, you know, they still can transmit the virus. And so they, you know, it's, people have the hard time wrapping their mind around understanding what the science says, which of course the science says, if you're undetectable, you cannot transmit the virus to another person. And also a person who may not have achieved undetectability um, or may not actually transmit the virus to another person. It just varies. I think it also depends on how much virus it is, the, how, you know, the, um, how much virus is in the person's body to, to whether they would, and the, and perhaps the forms of how you have sex, whether it be anal, whether it be oral, um, like there's some percentages tied to it. And I apologize for not memorizing what those percentages are based on yeah. which way you choose to engage in sexual, uh, in a sexual act. But it's true. There, there are the numbers out there. Um, but no, unfortunately, uh, this should be considered, if they're going to look at undetectability, they should look at it as a, on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, but unfortunately, that has not been, um, it may win for an individual person's case, but in terms of just having it across the law more broadly, um, we're not able to really use that as a, as a sort of defense, even though uh, but the way that we come at it is, is addressing the fact that the laws need to reflect the science. So that should and must be taken into consideration. Yes, thank you. Thanks again for that uh, question, Chris. And I was going to comment as well, too. A lot of the messaging around undetectable um, equals untransmittable. Um, like you say, uh, some people may not be able to achieve undetectable status because of different structural barriers, access to mm -hmm. stable housing. Right. resources, where are you living, what is your employment status. So it's a multi-layered conversation when it comes mm -hmm. to achieving undetectable status and definitely putting that as um, something in these laws. Just to just to throw that out there, that's an entirely separate conversation. We have. Right. Yeah. Another topic for revolutionary health, but I love that question so much because it really does challenge, are we looking at HIV? Are we looking at the black body? How many comes into the criminal justice system? Are we considering those cases? And as you said, it has rippling effects, not just in that specific case, but for the rest of your life. Um, right. And thank you so much for dropping the link in the chat as well for free newshine.com, uh, which we mentioned earlier um, here. Um, one of the great things as well that I uh, did with you was the HIV roundtable discussion, where mm -hmm. um, if you didn't get to check that out, make sure you do so on YouTube. Um, dot com forward slash CMP TV. Um, but one of the questions that we posed in that roundtable that um, just for anyone that wants to know ways that we can support um, people that are facing the HIV criminalization laws that are currently incarcerated, um, what things can we do? How can we show support? Um, things, uh, how do we show up to, you know, help them out? Well, one, I would, would offer that people start to have a conversation about HIV criminalization, and not only in a way of, of well, maybe maybe people need to do it. Maybe they need to space to process, you know, um, the fact of how they feel about it. Because even people living with HIV, you know, there are those that do 
think that we should continue to have the laws. And I totally understand that. I was once someone, I also contracted HIV from someone as well. Um, however, um, I never felt the need to um, have a person prosecuted because of it. I, it's just not in me to, to do that because I understand this is something that does happen. Um, and considering all the things that people are living with these days, I could perhaps understand the struggles, <laughs> the struggles with an S of what it means to um, sort of navigate through life with around disclosure, around access and things like that, um, just on your own versus also dealing with the reality, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. of, um, of disparities and things that out there. Um, so not to go too deep, I wanna say people just need to talk about it. They need to have a conversation. They need to educate themselves on the real implications of what this means. You know, it's not just putting someone away, um, you know, just having them away. Like there's just, there are ramifications to this because it speaks to a bigger picture, which is why I do this work. Um, to me, it's never about talking about the person that I was involved with. It's more about what happens to my black gay community, my black gay people living with HIV or all people living with HIV. Um, what happens to us? How are we viewed? And this is how we're viewed in the law, in the criminal justice system. And this is a shame. It's, it's a shame. And so they want us to be afraid. They want us to be afraid of each other so that we can, like, you know, turn against each other. So it takes, to, so I feel like to combat that is to have more conversations around this, how you really feel about it, and, and also how you feel about what's happening. You know, the things that I've laid out, how do you feel about that? Do you, is this what you want to happen to you if you're a person living with HIV? Or if, you know, you never know when it's your day that you may wake up and you're, you've uh, have contracted HIV. You, you don't know, no one really knows it, it happens, right, um, in life. Um, so it's not something that people look for. And so um, it is. this is what has driven me to be in this work is to understand that this is not something that people ask for. These are things that happen to folks. However, there's this system out there, right? Uh, this anti-Black system, this racism system, this systemic racism system that um, oppresses us and, and wants to use our HIV status as a way to control our bodies and um, in our communities. And so it, you, there's a lot there to talk about. It's a lot there to talk about around disclosure. And then the second part is to get involved, to do something about it, whether it's talking to a legislator, whether it's talking to um, a local aid service organization and compelling them to you know, make a campaign to, to get some start or be part of a coalition. You know, you gotta do something. If you care about black people, you gotta do something. And maybe there are those that don't, maybe those that are, that are black that are have made it in life that feel like, you know, that's not my fight, that's not my responsibility. Or you may feel like the person that you may have contracted HIV from deserve that. Uh, but I still feel like you have a social responsibility, a social responsibility to our to your community and to public health to to do what it's right, to speak the truth. Um, about what's going on. Because we as Black gay men, we understand how we have sex, how we get down, our behaviors and things like that. And a lot of it's not to bring harm. Uh, but again, because there are these laws in place that creates this false sense of security, you know, people feel like, you know, well, I don't have to 
do as much because those other people are, are subjected to the laws. It's their responsibility prevent to uh, to do prevention, um, you know, under the law. And um, it's a shared responsibility that we all have, whether you're positive or negative. So you must educate yourself. You must talk about it and you must get involved and do something about it if you really care about um, Black people, Black gay men, Black women, if you care about, because this happens to women as well, if you care about Black trans women who are mostly, definitely impacted by the criminal justice system, HIV and, and all the things, right? Uh, if you care about Black people, you should care about doing something about this. So join, find out where the coalitions are in your state, uh, especially in the South. There's several going on in Florida and Georgia, um, all over the place. And I'm happy, reach out to me or reach out to CNP. We're happy to get you involved and connected. Uh, if not in the South, definitely across the country, I can get you involved. Um, there's many efforts and many initiatives that are going on to modernize HIV laws from foundations being involved, from equality groups being involved, from HIV coalitions, networks, national networks getting involved. Uh, if you don't know what any of that means, it's okay. We can get you up to speed on what all that means. Um, but just talk about it. Um, that's that's you can that's the beginning and read about it. There's lots out there, and I'm happy to have one-on-one -on -one conversations about it. And if you are know somebody that's personally impacted, um, have them get in touch with me. I'm I'm happy to to connect with them because they, they, they're the ones that need re resources. They're the ones that will potentially lose their jobs uh, and maybe they're, they're where they live. And so they're definitely gonna need that support locally um, as they go through the process. And so um, that's a whole nother like conversation, like how do we do first response to, to people that are, are going through those experiences? Because most of those people cannot afford an attorney and most attorneys are not, yeah as knowledgeable about how to handle an HIV uh, criminal case, but we do have experts. Um, people living with HIV are experts for one. <laughs> Two, we have lawyers, we have policy people, we have a whole um, coalition of people uh, across many disciplines uh, that understand this issue, that understand the system, and that we can um, provide support to those people that are going through um, this experience. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, I know we have to wrap up um, pretty quickly um, here. This time has flown by, oh my God, just yeah. listening to you. <laughs> Everything that we have, this this went by so quick. Um, yeah. But once, once again, um, we put your contact information up as well. We've got some wonderful links in the chat. Um, mm -hmm. So as Robert um, said, make sure that you utilize that. Uh, hit us up for resources if you wanna learn more information as always. Um, just research the laws that you have in your state. I know we have a lot going on in this uh, next Sunday, so make sure that you're informed of everything. And thanks so much for uh, being here with me again, uh, Robert Suttle. Any last words, any last thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I just want to encourage people uh, to go vote uh, for one. And then two, um, just be safe, you know, take care of yourselves and um, just do some good, do some good, continue to do good in the world. Uh, we need each other uh, to survive. It's a long, we have a long way to go in this country in fighting racism and um, anti-Blackness. And um, just do your best to, to stay safe and also to take care of each other is my, is my. 
I couldn't have said it any better. So once again, thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Health. Make sure that you follow our social media, CNP Tribe. Our past videos are still on YouTube, so make sure you check those out. We've got a disclosure, as we talked about tonight. This will be up there as well. So we want to hear from you. Um, and as always, be good to yourself. Until next time, see you later. All right.